we will not finish finish, but we're going to finish kind of the um, the kind of the main theme today. The title is uh, sharing the load, and we live in a day where machines, whether they're little machines like a phone or huge machines like a combine in a farm field, do most of our heavy lifting nowadays. They do uh, our administrative work. They do um, they move things for us. Um, like you can literally like order a, a, a shipping container to be put in your front yard and someone will move it to Miami for you on a truck. And when you show up, it's all done. Unprecedented a hundred years back. Like this type of thing wasn't even conceivable 200 years ago, just 200 years ago in human history. It took three weeks to get from New York to England by boat. And when I was a kid, it took three and a half hours on the Concorde. Think about that. Three weeks or three and a half hours on the supersonic jet and from the late 1800s to the uh, early 2000s when that thing was retired. It's, it's crazy to think about that. For me, when I think about um, machines and I think about the conveniences, but I think for me, I love hydraulic power, hydraulics and jet engine technology. To me, those are the greatest things that we have grown up, my generation has grown up around. Because when you have something that you need lifted, just to throw it on the back of a truck and push a button and it lifts it for you through these crazy things called hydraulics or how you can get, uh, we don't have supersonic anymore, but how you can get from, I mean, England to New York or from um, New York to England in six hours, seven hours. There were people um, that used to talk about going from New York to London for a lunch meeting and being home by dinner at the same in the same city in New York that there was there was a flight, an early flight and a late flight and they literally did business in Europe and came home for dinner like it was like going 10 miles away crazy the machine generation and so when a generation grows up in that it's hard for us to to kind of revert back to how things were when Paul wrote this letter, that people did heavy lifting. People helped one another out. People helped, quote, share the load. People helped moving. When you ask people to move these days, man, the phone goes to DND if they know you're moving that weekend. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I, don't, I didn't get your message. Your phone's never off, but it was off for three straight days. Oh, that's interesting. It must have been a, my kids must have done that or something. When we're talking about this morning, the idea of sharing the load, the burden of life, what we're talking about are the issues that people find themselves in, as Shannon referenced, that there are times in our lives when we go through a season of struggle, a season where God is trying to work something out and God allows things to happen and we go, oh man, this hurts or I'm being squeezed or this is really, really difficult. And what we really want are for other Christians to come alongside us and carry some of it. And what oftentimes we get is judgment. What we oftentimes get is uh, apathy or somebody that goes, eh, yeah, I don't really have time to talk to you about that. I don't, really, I don't really have time today. I can't really take a call today. So in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, Brethren, if a man is overcome in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you be tempted. So much in this first verse. Probably only going to get to a, a few verses this morning. But what he's, what he's telling these 
Galatian believers in light of the fact that he spent chapters, plural, trying to get them to understand that there, you cannot self-justify by going back to the law, by being religious, by doing something for God. You can't go back and go back to Judaism, which the Judaizers were telling them, you guys got to go back and start doing what we've been doing for hundreds and thousands of years. You, Jesus is great, and maybe that's a little bit of the new covenant, but it's not enough. You guys got to be circumcised. You, are, you guys are Greeks, according to us. You're wild. You're barbarians. You're, you guys are worldly. So you need to come a little bit closer to where we've been at, and that's Judaism. Paul's like, look, if anybody should have told you that or would have told you that, it's me. I'm the one that's the most Jewish. I'm the one that was a Pharisee. I'm the one that prosecuted you very people for saying Jesus was the one. And now I'm saying these guys are, are heretics and they're, they're, they're taking you away from the, the true actual gospel. And so what he's saying now is after you walk in the spirit, after you have these attributes of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, after that, that's how you should deal with one another. Because he says, if you are under these things, there is no law. If you are under the spirit of God, if you're walking with the spirit, you're not going to be judged by the law. You won't even be aware of it because you'll be walking in God's Holy Spirit. So help each other out. Now, people don't often ask for help. You guys know this. Why? Because they're afraid of friendly fire, especially in the church. They're afraid of gossip. They're afraid of judgment. They're afraid of you really misunderstanding them. They're afraid of you... Um, when, when they do reach out for help, the response that they got would make them never ask for help again. It's a terrifying thing. I remember uh, years back, um, a friend of mine's mom and dad went to this church. That it, was, it was a larger church, but it was more a church that had a lot. The, the people that went there were very wealthy, and they gave a lot of money to the church. They tithed a lot of money to the church. And all of a sudden, over a span of a few years, they started losing a lot of quote, members of the church. And so a few of the elders were tasked with the assignment of calling people and going, hey, why aren't you coming to the church anymore? Or why did you stop coming to the church? And I was talking to my buddy's mom and I said, well, what did you say to them? And she goes, I told them that the pulpit preaches a perfection that we cannot possibly live up to. And so a lot of people probably feel the way I do and they have bailed out. We all, she goes, I also feel like he pushes this onto us, but portrays himself as not a struggling person, portrays himself as, as well, I'm, I've arrived, and you folks need to start stepping up. And so she goes, I'm just being honest with you. That's one of the reasons we're considering leaving. And so they were like kind of, they were kind of shocked by that. But that is a very, unfortunately, that is, <laughs> that is not a rare thing in American Christianity over the past 50 or 60 years. But I fear if we surveyed many former church goers, and I don't mean a denomination, I mean former church goers, former church people way before COVID, people that stopped going to church 15, 20 years back. The last thing we might find if we survey them is that people that, that, that were in the church were easy to share struggles with. That's, that's just, when I have talked to folks, whether it's been traveling or wherever I've been, I kind of get that from people who, oh yeah, yeah, years ago I used to go to church, but man, it was, it was, the people were so, it was, it was brutal. The judge, the judgment was horrible. The hypocrisy was horrible. Once again, I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm saying you hear that a lot 
And so you start to, when you hear something so many times, you start to go, huh, I wonder if we're not very gentle. I wonder if we're not considering ourselves. Verse one, brothers, if a man is overtaken by trespasses, if you're spiritual, if you're walking in the spirit, be gentle, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Why? Because you can be. Why was Peter, why were, were, why were the disciples, why did they bail out after the Lord's Supper? Because, number one, they were focused on not wanting to, to own up to the fact that Jesus had come to die. They really still were like, you should probably just like, just establish something here and like maybe just run things now and just forget the whole crucifixion thing. They weren't understanding the spiritual things. Now, they also weren't baptized by the Holy Spirit yet, so he understood that. But he also told Peter in the garden, hey, pray that temptation doesn't come and get you. Satan wants you. He wants to come and sift you. Pray that temptation doesn't get you. Number two, or excuse me, verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is an interesting term, the law of Christ. We've gotten... We've gotten two or three chapters of talking about not following the law to self-justify. Guys, if you're thinking you're going to self-justify, you can't, number one. Number two, if you're going to try and go back to the law, then you got to keep every bit of it. So if you, if you keep 612 out of 613, you are, as far as the Bible's concerned, as far as God's concerned, you have failed. You have missed the mark. It's not perfect. Jesus is the only one that hit the mark. What's the law of Christ? Well, in 5.14, which is the very two weeks ago's message, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The law is fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled the law, but in him, you fulfill the law by yielding to his spirit and letting his spirit live spiritual life through you, through that union. So, the law of Christ if a person bears another burden of another Christian, if a, if a person in a, in a church setting comes alongside and gently restores this person or gently brings them back, brings them, puts them back on the, on the narrow path, puts them back where they should be, helps them get there, that love, not being judgmental and doing that in the spirit of love and the fruits of the spirit that are following, you have fulfilled the law, the new living says something like you have obeyed the law of Christ, something along those lines. I love that. Once again, Paul has talked about this. Jesus has talked about this in the book of John. Jesus referenced this type of thing. We'll get there in a little while. Um, in verse three, he says, for if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. There's a, uh, there's a, there's a meme out there that talks about um, something along the lines of, uh, I'm kind of a big deal. When people think they're a big deal in the church, that's a problem. When pastors, bishops, priests, whoever is leading any church someplace, when they believe themselves to be on a, on a different level, on a different footing, on a different stage, and they really believe that, that's a huge problem. Because he says, if anyone, he doesn't say, if you guys, you church people, you pawns, you peasants, not us, the apostles. No, he didn't say that. He said, if anyone does, if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
an honest assessment. This is what we talk about. Uh, Self-evaluation, usually pretty brutal, usually pretty difficult when you grade yourself honestly, according to the scriptures. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a very necessary part of examining who we are as Christians, but who we are in the faith. Paul does not leave us wondering what we are without God's love. He doesn't leave us, well, what about people that are really doing well for like a couple of years, Paul? What about people who are really, really doing a lot for God? Paul put himself in the, in the toughest of categories, the chief of sinners, he called himself. If I'm going to be a chief, if I'm going to be a number one guy, that's of sinners. If we do not have it, we do not have this self-examination, this honest assessment of who we are, we can be deceived. I would even say we will be deceived at some point if we don't look at ourselves through the lens of who we really are on this side of heaven, the human part of us. But there's a real danger, though, in continuing to believe you're better than people that are struggling. Once again, to go back to these kind of illustrations of honesty and, hey, can we say that we struggle? Is that even like allowed for leadership to say that they struggle or for people who are in the church that might be people that have been coming to the church for a while? What about them? Can they struggle publicly? Is it possible? Well, years ago, I heard a story about a pastor that had, um, he found out his wife was having an affair and he told the elders of the church and they looked at him like, so what? I was like, oh, that's not good. He goes, why should you be the only, one with, the only one with a good marriage? All of ours are horrible. I'm like, huh. Now, the church was a church you'd think very differently. This is just a non-denominational Bible church with a very rich and long history um, when you think about kind of like weird churches or like you hear about some weird church that's doing this weird thing, you're like, okay, maybe it could have happened there. I'm talking about a church that Christians in general, if they were surveyed, they, they would put this church, this type of denomination at the top of ones that shouldn't have that type of a thing ever be said. So lest you think it's like, you know, the, the corner church that meets in a gas station led by some convicted felon, it's not that. Not that that's a problem, but you might think that. This idea that there's no, you're not allowed to struggle or you're not, that didn't just come from nothing, guys. That has come through history. I grew up in a church where you did not, I never heard in two huge periods of my life, probably a 10-year period of time and a 12-year period of time, I heard hundreds of sermons from two men. And I, lo I love these guys to this day. I never one time heard them ever talk like personally about anything. Just like, hey, I'm having a tough time with life. Hey, I'm going through it. Hey, I'm being squeezed. Hey, never. You know why? Because they believed if they did, they would have been fired. That's true. That's the actual truth. And so that is the case. So Paul's, Paul's kind of acting like, I don't even know what, what that is. That, I mean, that is, I don't know that that's a thing all over the world. I just know American culture. I know I've been around the church since the literal 70s. I've been going to church since like week two of my life. And I've been to five different denominations for a long period of time. And honestly, I have felt this my entire life. Being a pastor and not being a pastor, I have felt this my entire life. This piece of Galatians is not on the wall at a lot of churches. I will just tell you that right now. 
hey, bear one another's burdens and be honest about yourself lest you fall into temptation. I've never seen that above the door lentil when you walk out. Never, never have seen it before. There's very few places where we go, eh, I don't know if I would preach that at a solid, solid church. You'll, you'll hear some places where people go, ah, I don't think you should preach Revelation. I've heard this from Christians. I don't think you should preach on that. Really? It's in the scriptures. Why wouldn't we preach the scriptures? Well, it's not really knowable. I can't really know anything about it. Well, the whole point of the book of Revelation is to reveal Jesus. That's what revelation is. There are people who think it's called revelations, but you only reveal Jesus one time. You know, you, Jesus is going to be revealed and no one's going to miss that. When, that. when he comes, it's not going to be missed. It, it, even the New York Times will print it, I promise you. <laughs> Seriously. However, it's a rare thing for people to continually kind of meditate and chew the, these types of verses up because it gets scary because we all on paper go check. Yep. That's scripture. I agree with it. I like it. It's great. But do we really want to step out on the plank? Because sometimes the Christians that, that are around us when we jump off the plank are the alligators or the screaming eels to quote another movie in the water below. <laughs> if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself for his poor butt. Let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. This is another one of those verses where I think it's sometimes it's easy for people to go, well, see, if I do the right thing, then I can rejoice in myself. Not what he's saying. You got to read the Greek in this one. Really, there's, there's, there's literally apps on your phone where you can take the Greek, and it will literally translate the thought for you on the spot. And the thought in this one is not necessarily what a lot of people think. I want to read a, a commentary quote from Donald Campbell in this. I call this verse the comparison trap, comparing. Always the worst thing you can possibly do is compare yourself to another human being, any human being. I used to compare myself to Michael Jordan when I was very young, and that was the worst few minutes of my life. God made one person on the planet in, out of 20 or 30 billion he made one Michael Jordan, and he placed Michael Jordan into my life in 1985, and I had to watch the greatest. It was a wonderful thing, but I've never been able to watch the Bulls again after he quit because they have been nothing but a letdown. When you have the best ever, the next 20 years, not so good, but I also believe God was trying to get me to like wave bye-bye to a lot of professional sports. I did, I did used to spend a lot of my, my time on professional sports. So he also placed me in Chicago where they always lose. <laughs> Not always, just a lot. A lot of human history. Donald Campbell says, <clears throat> something must be laid aside if a believer is to, bur to be a burden bearer. And that is conceit. An attitude that brings intolerance of error in others and causes one... Uh, and causes one uh, that are about to be above failure. The remedy for self-conceit is found in verse 4. Everyone is told to test their own actions. This means that rather than comparing themselves with other people, they should step back and take an objective look at their life and accomplishments. Then they, can't, then they can take pride in what God has done. That's what he's really talking about. That pride word is the... Uh, excitement of seeing evidence of God using your life. That you can be excited about. And some people go, well, well I'm, 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 I'm proud that God is doing something. It's not pride. It's a word, once again, the English is so um, 
it, it lacks so much oftentimes when, when put against the Greek. Um, but I, I understand the sentiment there. He said, then they can take pride in what God has done in and through their life. This is a different pride than looking vainly at themselves, but more the satisfaction that God is working. That's what Donald Campbell says, an awesome, uh, astute observation of verse 4. Um, in verse 5, for each one shall bear his own load. Now, this is the personal load. This is the responsibility that God has given an individual to live their life. The personal load references the personal assignments, the giftings that you've been given, specifically you who are listening, that Jesus gives to each and every individual believer. He has told us in the scriptures that his burdens are light. The burdens we are talking about in this passage are the issues of sin and personal struggles. That's not, God doesn't put sin on you. God will never put sin on you. God does not, as, as the scriptures say, God does not tempt people. Even James is super clear about that. God allows it because sometimes it allows us to fall on our face and go, oh, I need my dad. I was just being an idiot again. That's sometimes why we struggle. Sometimes, not always. But when God asks you to do something, he supplies the power. He supplies the means. He supplies the spiritual giftings and specifically the spiritual strength to accomplish these things. When God puts a burden on your heart and asks you to go do something, maybe it's a new ministry. Maybe it's like, hey, you know, you've been staring at that homeless guy for 10 weeks at your work outside. And why don't you walk outside and just ask him his name? No, nobody's talked to the guy in five years. And you find out that he lost everything a few years back and he's never gotten past his depression. And he's not the typical, you know, the, the panhandler that you hear in the paper, you know, like the famous one in Chicago on Michigan Avenue that made a hundred grand a year mm -hmm. in 1995. Literally lived in like Oak Park, which is like an unbelievable place to live when you're supposedly homeless uh, on the Mag Mile. But talking about somebody who's like, life has taken everything from them and they don't know that there's help. And God goes, hey, I want you to go, well, I don't know what to say, Lord. I don't know what scriptures to throw at him. Just go ask him his name. That's it. That's all I ask you to do. And God allows you to go do that. And through that, God blesses you. And the guy goes, man, I can't believe, I, I literally was just praying for the first time in forever that somebody would come out here and just sit down for five minutes, eat their lunch, and just be a, another human being that I can talk to. God gives you the ability to do something like that. But he then doesn't give you the, well, I, do you know who I am? I work in this place behind here. I'm a big deal. So you're lucky that I came out here and talked to you because I'm such a big deal. No, not that. But just that God would use you, that, that maybe God allowed you to have a conversation that you've been wanting to have with somebody. That type of a thing. That's what we're talking about. There's the personal responsibility, the personal load Jesus said, hey, my, my, my burden, the one I put on you, sorry, is light. It's easy. I'm gentle. I'm lowly. I'm not putting on you some of the stuff that you put on yourself, believing that it's for me. Romans chapter 12, um, verse 3 says, as God's messenger, I give you each this assignment. Be honest in your estimation of yourselves, measuring your value by how much faith God has given you. That is from Paul, same writer of this letter. Don't look at yourself 
about with with Michael Jordan accolades. Michael Jordan the other day, Michael Jordan turned sixty, and he gave ten million dollars to some uh, organization. I was like, oh man, wow, that's a lot of money. Well, when you're worth a billion five, it is still a lot of money, but it's still nowhere near your entire like it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt you. Let's just say. But sometimes you wonder why that stuff is publicized. Couldn't he have just done that anonymously? I love Michael Jordan, so I can say. But once again, it's an interesting um, how we always hear about the good deeds of, of celebrities. We always get to, oh man, they're amazing. How many houses they've been building for people? It's God that gives you the ability. God gave Michael Jordan, for another analogy, so much natural talent, so much drive, so much that, yes, he made a lot out of it. He, he, he took it to the level that very few will ever take it to. But at the same time, some, some person that's got a special need that, that can hardly even walk, their load is different. And they may please the Lord with physically what they've been given a whole lot more than the greatest athlete that's ever lived because the greatest athlete that's ever lived has praise from men and women all day, 24-7. Everywhere they go, they're like worshiped. This person's not. So it's God who gives us this measure of faith and he does it for a reason so that you and I can't take credit for stuff so that we don't go, oh, look what I've done for the Lord lately. And coming alongside a struggling Christian comes with a huge responsibility, no matter who you are. It's not just a pastor's job. It's, it's a Christian's job to come alongside a struggling Christian and to come at them gently, to come at them with love, to come at them with, how can I help you? How can I, and, and to keep their confidence and to, and to be somebody who allows them to, to know I'm not just gonna be thrown under the bus. That talking to you, whoever this person is, is like talking to a vault, like that you're gonna keep their confidence. Part of that responsibility is realizing that we either have been where they are or we will be where they are at some point in time. That's, I believe, the in these five verses that you are going to struggle at some point in time. Even if you're not struggling at the time that you help somebody else, you will struggle. And how do you want that, the person that you're talking to right now, how do you want them to handle you? Once again, the law of Christ is filled because it's love. Um. Future, um, in the future, you could be where they are and you will want the gentleness. You will want the, the lowly, gentle Jesus type. How did Jesus handle people that were struggling? How did Jesus handle a girl who was trapped, literally set up, but trapped in adultery, completely set up by these religious leaders? And why is it that that somehow they grabbed her, but he wasn't available for comment. Interesting. They're a good old buddy. And how did Jesus handle this woman? Did he be like, well, yeah, they can't throw rocks at you, but I'm perfect. So I'm going to stone you the second they leave. No, he didn't do that. Neither do I condemn you. Go and you're free. Don't get trapped again in that. Go and send no more. Closing, um, what the world thinks of the church is not necessarily accurate. I don't know that it ever will be, though sometimes they do pick up on some inconsistencies in the church. When I say the church, I just mean like what the world thinks is the evangelical church. 
whether that's on television, whether that's on um, you know, a televangelist, or whether that's um, large denominations, whatever it is, sometimes the, the world picks up on the inconsistencies that are in the church. And what would it be like if the one thing they did say about us was that, and I mean the true church, I don't mean the fake church, the true church of Christ, what if they said this, that they have love for one another that is infectious, attractive, and that is something that I would like to have. Like they don't necessarily buy in 100% yet. They don't necessarily want to be sitting at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning in a church service singing. Maybe they've never sung in their lives before. But that love, if that love was handled the way Galatians 6 is telling us to, I believe they'd be beaten down the door to the nearest church nearby, when they, especially when they went through struggle. Secondly, the fact that more people feel comfortable paying a Christian counselor to bear their soul over talking to somebody for free in the church over a cup of coffee about a real issue in their life tells me we probably have a problem with this first verse. We probably have a problem with handling people gently. We probably have a problem with friendly fire. We probably have a problem with not keeping people's confidence. I want to close with um, uh, a verse that uh, whenever you hear a word like the new commandment, like when, when a pastor goes, well, there's another commandment I'm going to give you, you really got to preface that. When a, when a pastor gets up and says, well, there's another commandment I'm going to give you, uh, I hope it's you're quoting Jesus Christ himself when you say that, um, but I am quoting Jesus Christ himself, just doing it in the Gospel of John. I want to close with this. I'm going to leave you guys with this. This will be sort of our benediction. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's, that's a really big deal. This is how people are going to identify you. Not by where you say you go, not by the sticker on the back of your SUV. And I don't mean the who rescued who. I mean the little church deals that are all over the churches, the, the bumper sticker stuff all over the place. Love people the way I have loved you, not the way I told you to love people. The way I have loved you. You guys go do that. You disciples, you 12, do that. And if you do, people are going to know that you're my disciples because nobody else loves that way. No group on this planet loves the way the Spirit of God calls us to because they can't. Because no one can love the way Jesus loved without Jesus' actual love channeled through them. It's impossible. At some point in time, you'll see an inconsistency. Once, once more, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Lord, um, we aim for that. It is, uh, it is truth that we need to hear. It is difficult to do. Um, God, we have a lot of things on our minds and our plates. Some of those things we probably need to drop and, and push aside, but we do come in with uh, a lot going on in our society. Um, but I do ask you to um, be working in our hearts specifically, in our minds as well, 
but God, that we would freely give the love, freely give the good news to uh, the people that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen.